Welcome to Signal Black, a Darker Days series introducing and exploring numerous Chronicles of Darkness second edition settings currently developed by Onyx Path Publishing. In this series, the hosts of Dark Days, along with some Onyx Path writers, will discuss the settings and basic mechanics of each game, highlight the types of characters you can play, and explore the role-playing experiences each game provides. I'm going to be one of your hosts here, uh, Mike, uh, normally from Dark Days Radio, and uh, also joining me is Chris. How's it going? Hello. Hi. Yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah, it's good to start this new series. Uh, it's a new year. It's a good time to dive into Chronicles of Darkness, given that Hunter the Reckoning... You know, sorry, wrong version. We're already getting this wrong. Hunter the Vigil 2nd Edition Damn it, is, like, out to, uh, yep. is out to uh, backers and so forth. I think I'm just waiting on getting the hard copy. Um when that's available so yeah it's a good time to get back into these games i feel uh yeah and we've got a guest with us haven't we mike we do and that is sam young uh who has written on several uh Kronks of darkness uh game lines uh sam how's it going nice to have you here uh do you want to introduce yourself and give some of your street cred yeah a long time listener first time caller um i uh yeah i'm sam uh i've i've written Lots. I can't, I can't remember the exact number right now uh, of uh, Chronicles of Darkness stuff. I did uh, Werewolf the Pack, uh, Night Horrors the Tormented, Night Horrors Enemy Action, Night Horrors Spilled Blood, Night Horrors the Serial. I, I've done a lot of Night Horrors, so if they ever do more Night Horrors, I'd really like to get in on that to kind of nice. fit, uh, fulfill the, the, the quad factor I get this I guess at this point. Um, but I have also done a lot of uh, Storyteller's Vault, uh, Vampire the Requiem stuff, uh, primarily updating the old clan books into second edition, among, kind of amongst other things. Basically kind of going through bloodline by bloodline and bringing them into the new edition. Um, and uh, yeah, that's sort of where I'm at. I'm I'm sort of, uh, I'm, I am the Chronicles of Darkness guy in my friend group. Uh, the, nice. the Vampire the Requiem guy online, I think. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's awesome, especially because uh, you, you have so much expertise in Vampire the Requiem, and that is going to be the main uh, feature here tonight on Signal Black. Um, but before we get into the, uh, what Vampire the Requiem is, we're just going to talk about the Chronicles of, of Darkness a little bit, because this is kind of serving as an introduction uh, to many of the uh, uh, Chronicles of Darkness games. Um, so we want to explain some of the, the basics of it. So, Chronicles of Darkness is a premier horror role-playing setting that was originally released in 2004 under the title World of Darkness. It's an evolution from uh, classic horror role-playing games of the 1990s, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with, and it quickly developed into its own mysterious setting. Uh, in Chronicles of Darkness, you play characters in a world that's just like our own, a uh, modern era uh, with the same countries, same fashions, and the same struggles. But underneath the facade of normality lurk creatures of the unknown, subtle magic beyond comprehension, and uh, sinister mortals seeking to use this magic for their own selfish desires. It's in this dangerous underworld that your mortal characters explore, finding you know, conspiracies or hauntings, cursed legacies or technostic intrusions. Sometimes your characters might be drawn deeper into the shadows and become creatures themselves, being turned into vampires, unlocking the true sorcery of mages, or uh, even being captured and being turned into one of the uh, wondrous changelings. So it's to that backdrop and to the, that basic uh, uh, set of game mechanics and set of rules that we have 
Vampire the Requiem, which had its second edition come out uh, actually several years ago. It's been out for quite some time. 2013, we, uh, I think. It's Yeah, it's it's been a little while, but I think we're all excited to, to talk about it because it, it made a big splash when it first came out and uh, really set the stage for all the, all the other second edition Chronicles of Darkness uh, games that came out. So why don't we do a bit of a, uh, a sales pitch as to what Vampire the Requiem is all about. So uh, just from a basic standpoint, just to uh, start us off, and I'll pass it off to, uh, I think, Sam first, and then maybe Chris to, to follow up a bit. Uh, Vampire is a game about survival in a world of undead politics. Um, and vampires were once humans, but they were killed and embraced by another vampire and you know, brought into the fold. And now, uh, if you're playing one of these vampires in the game, uh, you are a blood-drinking revenant, holding on to the vestiges of humanity while still, of course, feeding off of mortals. So that's basic um, physiology of it. But uh, Sam, what, what else would you like to highlight just from a uh, kind of an elevator pitch? On, uh, <laughs> uh, the, Requiem? The, the, the line that I, that I often give to people is that you get to be the sexiest loser in the world of darkness. Um, <laughs> like you are you are this this beautiful predator of the night. You have the whole world before you. But also your, you, how do I put this? You're also beholden to uh, this monster in your brain that wants you to kill and to eat and 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 uh, do what it will. And also there's these these people at the top who want to crush you down. Um, you have all the power in the world, but very few places to use it. So and that's you know and that's drama, baby. Um, I, I like to say that, that Vampire the Requiem is is the best sandbox RPG for vampires. Like if you are, regardless of whether you care about the world of darkness, or the Chronicles of Darkness, if you pick up this game and you want to play a role-playing game about vampires, this is it. It's it's, it's setting is enough such that you could pick it up or put it away as, as much as you like. Um, it has a rich, it has rich lore, but it's also a hands-off approach to that lore so that you're not always having to contend with it. Um, and uh, I don't know if we want to get into kind of the the elephant in the room of of the differences with Masquerade quite yet, but uh, I think mm. there are, there are some really interesting things that Requiem does uh, uh, better than Masquerade, and you know Masquerade does things better than Requiem too. But it's it's kind of about what are you looking for, and if you're looking for a more granular experience that you can really customize to your playstyle, the kind of horror you want to sell to your players. Uh, I think that you know that's the game for you, and that's more of an that's that's a little longer than an elevator pitch, but no, I think that was perfect for an elevator pitch. We just got off on the thirteenth floor, and that was perfect. <laughs> All right, the Chris. seventh floor. <laughs> okay, Chris, uh, what do you think? What's what's your elevator pitch? Uh, yeah, so I would say that if I was to, I mean, I think it's maybe maybe it given given recent events uh, with the loss of. Uh, one of the luminaries of of vampire media, which is Anne Rice. Um, yeah. I actually think Vampire the Requiem is a better uh, game to emulate if you wanted the Vampire Chronicles, because in the Vampire Chronicles, in in that series, you know Lestat and Louis and uh, you know etc. Uh, each vampire actually has uh, their own unique set of of disciplines they don't they don't share it through bloodlines in the same way 
And so technically there is a lot of diversity in what powers a vampire can manifest. And I think Requiem actually allows that uh, because of um, the fact that the the clans aren't so rigid, uh, the the covenants aren't so rigid that you have in it. So as Sam said, it is even more of a sandbox than than it than the uh, than the precursor uh, in the form of Masquerade. And then the difference stylistically, again, if we consider the precursor, is that Vampire is a game where you're playing these ancient monsters, where you could potentially be playing ancient monsters, or at least you are inheritors of powers from ancient monsters. Yet, their knowledge of history is fractured, uh, and there is no monomyth for our vampires, and that injects a lot of mystery into the game because not all vampires are kindred. So Mm. all kindred are vampires, but not all vampires are kindred. And within that context, you can really play some true horror where you as vampires in fact seem less monstrous than other monsters out in the world and in fact less monstrous monstrous than even humans uh because and we'll get into this there's such horrible things as uh, there are other types of vampires and there's the things that are called the strix you've got to deal with the fact that there are clans that have come and gone covenants that have come and gone there's it is a, a melting pot of ideas and you can take this wonderful core book and go back through even the previous editions and you can build out from it to create your what i would say is your world of darkness and i use world of darkness in the sense that your game setting is a world of darkness there is the world of darkness which is shared by lots of people in lots of media but you can create your world of darkness for vampires with this game quite easily yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. So you both kind of mentioned um, you mentioned Vampire the Masquerade. And I think that's a very <laughs> fair thing to bring up now um, because that's what a lot of people these days are going to be asking. You know, Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition came out uh, about three, four years ago. Um, is it that long and, ago already? <laughs> God. Yeah, it is. My it bones, is. Yep. My bones are, are turning to ash. <laughs> so I think a lot of people would say, hey, there's this this new hotness on the street. Why do I want to go with Vampire the Requiem? Coke, Coke um, classic. Uh. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I don't know how much I can personally answer that question because I'm a bit of a weirdo who likes to just combine both games. I like to use a lot of ideas from Vampire the Masquerade and Vampire the Requiem, combine them, and have like a nice uh, <laughs> cookies and cream kind of flavor, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which which you can do, and uh, I think you're know, here on Darker Days Radio. We really encourage. We really like people to uh, you know grab ideas from a lot of different things and, and mix and match. It's nothing like you a know, ma- good uh, mashup. I, I love to use certain covenants in in my Vampire the Masquerade games most recently, and I think that's a great way to uh, add a lot more variety to that setting. But I want to ask you two um, because there's going to be a lot of people watching this who are very familiar with uh, Vampire the Masquerade Fifth Edition. Why should they play? you know, Vampire the Requiem, what does it bring to the table? You've already kind of mentioned that with the, the sandbox features, but um, um, what are, what are I guess, some of the, uh, the, the simplified differences uh, that would, would attract people to, to Vampire the Requiem? I think the, one thing that I, I think is, is a little undersold with Requiem is that peop, the, the kind of the cliche is, well, you play Masquerade for the setting and you play Requiem for the system. Um, 
And I think you can play Requiem for the setting. Because, uh, mm. like, I think it the way it does vampire politics, and we'll talk a bit, bit about this when we get to, like, the splats and stuff, but the way it does vampire politics is really interesting. Because instead of, like, the format in, a, in, in Masquerade is Sabat versus Camarilla, or now, now it's more Anarchs versus Camarilla. In, in Vampire the Requiem, you have five different political factions that are not necessarily fighting each other but actually serve kind of a particular purpose in running the, the all-night society. So, you know, you have the Invictus who are uh, the more like aristocratic stereotype vampires, but then you have the Carthians who are more revolutionary. Um, but it's not just that the Carthians are like, well, we got to take down the Invictus. That, that might be their big goal in the end. But the Carthians help maintain order in the city. They've got these powers called Carthian law. They make sure that people are following the traditions and the Invictus is making sure that, you know, the wealth is being concentrated where it needs to be. Then you have weirder things like the Circle of the Crone who are doing blood sorcery. Yeah. And well, yeah. you always need a good blood sorcerer, right? Yeah. So we'll I, get I think into all yeah. these different covenants, covenants in a second, just for any new people. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, as their, their first introduction. Yeah. We'll, we'll go over a lot of the, uh, the proper nouns. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's good to highlight. So basically broad, broad strokes. The politics are different. Yeah, the, I think the politics and is different in a in a way that allows you to explore um, things which, in masquerade, whether they intended or not, have become set in stone. So if we, so when I say that is is that the typical if you've played masquerade, if you don't know masquerade, fine, you can easily read up on this. There's wonderful wikis. The the idea that you have caught the courtly structure of your night society of vampires. That was introduced pretty much through Chicago by Night and became then considered the norm. Mm -hmm. And in Requiem, you can explore so many different political structures. You know, people always go, oh, our Carthians are just communists, they're just anarchs. Actually, they can be a lot of different things. Carthians are just not the status quo. And that, yeah. and not the status quo can be many things being a revolutionary Carth does not mean you are a good thing for the people right, right. a good carthian, thing carthian police state is incredibly viable yeah and, and, and cap carthians and then yep. likewise the circle of crone are this you know are this uh witch cult which claims have a history claim uh, whether you believe those claims or not is another thing but again how that manifests depends upon how they want to talk about like kind of what kind of mythologies they tie themselves to because within history there are many vampire myths likewise if you look at the invictus they're kind of again depending upon where in the world you are they represent a solid kind of feudal hierarchy but that, again that depends where in the world you are if you're in japan what a feudal hierarchy looks like is again tainted by the place that you're from so there is a lot of diversity you can do and i think speaking honestly have written some stuff now officially for for masquerade i think masquerade's re-examining that and trying to break open the play pit to allow more of that but masquerade has that actually built in as for setting material i actually think the beauty about requiem is that it doesn't have oh the end of the world is coming you can play that you can have an end of the world of a sorts but actually there are much more you can have a diversity of stories which range anywhere from bio horror because requiem 
through Merit of Chronicles of Darkness leads into technostic horror and technology as the main antagonist in that, in that sense. All the way through your traditional political horror and the mythological horror. So there's the the challenge with Requiem then is maybe knowing what you want to run. And I think sometimes knowing what you want to run means you've run the run-of-the-mill type of typical chronicles and exhausted that and then gone wait a minute wouldn't this be really interesting to do and this game supports those new ideas i i think that the strengths of chronicles of darkness in general and I, I think um former former mage developer dave brookshaw said this and i'm paraphrasing a bit but the chronicles of darkness is very weird it's a very weird world that people live in in that in that setting and that's sort of i think that's kind of the fun of requiem is that there's a weirdness you can add to the mix that I think Masquerade lacks. Not not that Masquerade can't be weird, but there's a certain unknowable quality that you can really like. You can get into the more Twin Peaksiness of the Chronicles mm. of Darkness, yeah, and in Vampire. Um, and I think that's one of its great strengths is like you can go into this world and be like, I don't know, I don't know what this is. Uh, you can create, you know, weird like you have weird shadow owls and so on and so forth. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. So, Chris, did you have something else to follow up I was up just going to say, there's, the, and the, the, the thing with it is there's definitely, where well, people go, oh, Masquerade has lots of lore, lots of background material. We're now, you know, let's be honest, we're now, what, 20, you said 2004 was when Chronicles 18. of Darkness came out? Yep. Yeah, so so we're now, yep. you know, we've got almost 20 years worth of, 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 uh, of Requiem material. And that has been distilled into this second edition. So there is a, if you go into it, there is a setting ready to run. There is a world ready to explore at time zero. And you can build out from that and modify it rather easily. So it does have the hints there can be a sort of a meta plot within it, especially if you play the Strix Chronicle, which we will get into a bit more about. But the the thing when people say there isn't a setting, that's complete nonsense. That's rubbish. And I've ranted about this on Twitter. <laughs> true for so long. Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. Good, good. So... Uh, to any uh, new listeners out there, uh, thank you for bearing with us as we tackled that. But it's a it's a very important question because there is a uh, a lot of people that are familiar with Vampire the Masquerade and want to learn more or are you know, just interested in Vampire the Requiem and, and what the differences are. So let's go on to discussing uh, what you can play in Vampire the Requiem Second Edition. Um, and you know, coming up for any new people, there's going to be a lot of proper nouns up ahead, but we're going to try to explain all of them in a uh, you know, careful and kind of kind of slow details so that uh, people can definitely follow along. And because this is going to be streaming on Twitch and uh, maybe a podcast in the future, um, you can definitely rewind and go over things if you need to. So, Vampire the Requiem uses three concepts to broadly differentiate vampires. Um, first off, there are the clans, which are families that they're embraced into. So if the uh, vampire that embraced you was a deva, for example, then you will also become a deva. Uh, following that, there are the covenants, uh, which are political organizations that the, uh, your vampire character can choose to join. And finally, there are bloodlines, which are optional kind of refined vampiric families or changes to your vampire physiology that your character can 
typically choose to join. Um, now let's cover those clans first, because that's really the uh, one of the basic building blocks here. And there are five clans, uh, and each of them play off a different literary archetype for vampires, a different thing you'd see in, in novels, in films, and I think we can kind of uh, draw some some allusions to these uh, these different clans to some literary characters as we uh, as we discuss things. So, first off is one that we mentioned, which is the Deva, and these are typically the um, uh, I guess I would say the more more sensual uh, vampires. Um, they can be uh, very refined and and predatory in high society, let's say, um, but they can also have just a a, light, a lot of heights to their emotions and feelings. And I would say the uh, Deva, um, one literary link, I think the Anne Rice vampires in many ways usually usually fall into this. So, like Louis. Louis's a bit of a Deva, <laughs> if you know what I mean. The stat when he flies off the handle as well. Mm, indeed, indeed. Um, yep. David Bowie in, uh, in The Hunter. Oh, yes, definitely, mm. yeah. Mm. Famously in The Clan Book, too. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else we want to mention uh, about the Deva or any other highlights that uh, Sam you know of? Because I, I know you and Chris just worked yeah, on a we uh, just did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should do. We'll do a little plug soon again, Deva. Yeah, we will plug at the end. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, uh, the Deva. It's it. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about the Deva recently. Um, I think sensuality and physicality are are the big focus of the Deva because they've got you know these powers of social allure, but they unlike. All, all of the other four clans have two physical powers. So mm. they are very oriented towards like strength and speed and beauty. And, um, and I was, I was, I have, I have some thoughts about like kind of the way of defining clans is like, it's not really about family. It's about how you hunt and how yes. you hunt as a Deva is you are beautiful. You are fast. You're strong. You are, you know, and there's so many permutations of what you could do with that. Hmm. Is that a uh, is that an update in uh, in second edition where they make it more about how they hunt? It, it's sort of it's one of the cool things that they do, and I'll try not to make this too long. Is that all of the disciplines I think refer to the beast in some way? Um, that mm. that the beast is about this is how you hunt. This is this tool. It's not about your your kindred. If you use powers on your kindred, well, you know, good luck to you. This is how you go and snatch humanity and take their blood uh, that's that's a big focus of it and I, that's something i really like about that the way they present that yeah awesome. i think because if you say about the the david being sensual and with majesty obviously commanding people's emotions and the physicality that it's that they lure people in and then overpower them brutally yeah and uh, you know that that's horrific in its own right <laughs> um yeah and next up for the clans, we have the uh, the Gangrel, uh, and their archetype is the um, uh, much more much more feral vampire, usually much more uh, more bestial in many ways. And for literary influences, hmm, they're not a very literary actually, archetype, are they? Yeah, yeah, that one's a bit tougher. Uh, I mean, I think with recent movies, you could definitely go with like the. Um, 30 days of night vampires yeah, yeah. They, they'd be gangrel for example uh, um, near dark is kind of my go-to for for yeah. gangrel yeah that's another great uh great film option right there uh for yeah. inspiration with a gangrel uh chris and sam how do you how do you feel about gangrel is there anything you want to highlight with them 
I mean, obviously, the the primary thing about them is that they they capture that the the shape shifting element of of vampires. So if you look at um, the Bram Stoker's Dracula um, film by Francis Ford Coppola, you know where you know Dracula turns into a mass of rats or he turns into a a large kind of humanoid bat, you know Gangrel allow you to play that sort of of uh character while also communing with animals so in that respect they're they're very they are the the bestial uh vampires and i i think the interesting thing with that then is where you take that that kin that they have with animals and maybe that they were best suited to hunt out in the wilderness and how they're as a clan they must or have accommodated altering their way of hunting to the modern world to being within cities mm-hmm. um to 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 go back to the uh the idea about shape-shifting something i really like to highlight about the difference between the gangrel in first edition and even and even masquerade um that second edition gangrel shape-shifting is not just well you grow some claws and your eyes turn red like the beast is literally like pouring out of your flesh you've become this this polymorphic thing that can grow a tail and and like climb up walls it's it's not even it's like the beast made manifest through your skin mm. um and the the shape-shifting of protean is just it is the most monstrous of all the powers in in the uh, in in new world um uh, vampire and I think that's a really cool change, uh, uh, and I think it's it's I I, I think uh, to, to pin, go back to Masquerade very briefly. I think it's interesting that that's now how they represent vicissitude in um, in the new edition of that. Yeah, uh, like I just I really like that making it it's much more broadly focused as a shape shifting like animalistic the the monster in the skin kind of thing. Hmm. Nice. Next up, uh, after that, we have the Mechets, which are interesting. They, um, they're usually the uh, more kind of spooky, shadowy kinds of vampires. Um, there's a lot of interesting lore with them that I think really stands out. Um, you know, for example, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, they, they almost go through, some of them, almost go through like a mummification process and are kind of turned into vampires later after they've been dead for a little bit, yeah. which is uh, some interesting lore um, that really kind of adds to things. For literary influences, this is a tough one. Like it's this, it's it's a tough one, but tough it's so one. also just a lot of things could very broadly fit into them. I think like the necroscope kind of really weird yeah. alien vampires could fit in. Um, not so much from the uh, the physicality, but uh, definitely from the uh, kind of mysterious uh, alien nature with how how they kind of uh, just gather secrets and the like. I think that could work. I, I for for uh, mm-hmm. sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, no, no, please. Uh, I was going to say, not so much literary again, but there are two. There are two canonical maquette movies, and it's a girl walks home alone at night, and uh, only lovers left alive. I think. Oh, yeah. If you want to find maquette in media at all, that's those. Are, that's the archetype. It's not quite as much the shadowy thing, but it is that psychic energy, weird alienation from humanity thing. P- particularly, a girl yeah. walks home alone at night, which is, I think, a really underrated movie. Um, hmm. Yeah, those are the maquette. Those are the ones I have found in my travels. Uh, after that, we have the Nosferatu, which is uh, you know a pretty obvious one from a a, a film standpoint. Uh, what what it's referring to, uh, but the Nosferatu are the 
I guess you'd say like the the fear of vampires in a lot of ways. You know, one of the disciplines is of course nightmare, which is a uh, you know very very uh, uh, strong and, and psychological in many ways. Um, but the the Nosferatu archetype, even more than the Mecca, is definitely the the creepy vibes, um, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, one additional vampire that I think you could use as inspiration for the Nosferatu, which could also be a little bit Ventru as well, would be Radu from the Subspecies series. Have anyone seen that one? Oh yeah, check it out. Direct direct to VHS. It's good stuff. It's good stuff, everyone. <laughs> nice. But uh, definitely a creepy, very creepy vibe of a uh, vampire in the castle on the hill. Yeah, and Nosferatu are interesting within Requiem because they're not necessarily ugly. Mm-hmm, they're right. not necessarily yeah. even um, inhuman looking. They can look, they can look quite normal. The difference is that the the revulsion that people feel from them. Is an is an aura. So they, as they walk by, you know, cats may you know growl, and you know they the light may you know shadows get darker, that type of thing. So it's it's an aura as well. And I like the fact they're not necessarily the ugly vampires. If anything, that makes them a bit. It feels a bit more inclusive, maybe less, um, you know, less less uh, exploitative maybe of uh, for people in that respect where you go oh they look like oh lepers mm. is the typical thing with classic masquerade Nosferatu oh. that kind of idea so I think in that respect they're, they're much more interesting to play and Nightmare is a really novel uh, discipline that when I first read Requiem I was like wow that's, that's cool that is literally fear weaponized and that has many different uh, cool powers within it. So they're they're one of my favorite clans in Requiem. Uh, mm. I think uh, yeah. I, I love I love the Nosferatu so much. Uh, I, I th- and kind of part of that is is Nightmare is such a, a fascinating. It's not really a very archetypal vampire power. It's it is very it's kind of is unique to Requiem. I I mean vampires do scare things and. In media and fiction, but it, it is a really cool, unique part of the this setting that they have this fear power, um, and that's so focused on like one interesting thing about uh, I'll talk again a little bit about about changes from first edition is that they they did a version of Dementation in um, a, in the uh, Requiem Ventru book, and a lot of the changes to Nightmare in second edition, if you kind of look closely, are taken a bit from that broadening it not just to fear but like gaslighting make giving you delusions and making you believe things that aren't real and i think that's a really cool it's really scary like it's a really frightening thing um even even more than like the fear of dominate which is you you do things that you don't want to do but like that you believe things that aren't real uh and i think the nosferatu just really really beautifully uh illustrate that kind of horror indeed the fear of not being able to trust your own mind Mm -hmm. is very it's scary. Really, really something. But let's move on to the Ventrue. So this is the vampire either, you know, in the, the castle up on the hill or in the skyscraper above the city, you know, in the penthouse looking down on everyone. Definitely the uh, the very the highly controlling vampire. Uh, and in many ways, you know, you could say the, the gangrel kind of can exhibit the apex predator, but I feel like in you know, in a modern capitalist society, the Ventrue <laughs> can definitely uh, 
be that way as two well. Two sides of the same coin, I think. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. So, and and that you know literary influence, I think you can divide Dracula fifty fifty between Gangrel and Ventru. You know, I think he because he exhibits that kind of you know the the beast side as well as the you know, the refined aristocrat in some ways. Um, so that's that's a great influence right there. Um, but other things like uh, Doctor. John William Pal- uh, Polidori's uh, vampire, mm-hmm. the vampire, I should say, uh, definitely is a Ventru just hunting in a uh, in a local social club. Lord Riven, yeah. So, anything to say with the Ventru? I think they're uh, <laughs> they're probably the most straightforward. They're very self explanatory, um, as as they would like. I think. Yeah, I I like the thing about uh, uh, I like the Ventru of animalism. That that's an interesting little quirk in them, because um, I believe yeah. in in Masquerade they had um, presence, which is majesty now. And I like the idea there. They are somewhere it says this in a book. They are lords of men and beasts. Like Alventru, if you can walk and you can ha- you have a brain, it can control you. And I, I really like that. There's just this this uh, the the Ventru will to power is is another you know it's another frightening archetype. Um, and this that they have resilience is their other power, and it's just like you can't kill this thing. It will control your mind, and even if you do break out of that, you can't do anything about it. You can't kill this. It's it's lived longer than you've even like existed. So it's it, I think they have some of the best synergy in terms of their powers. I think that's that's a really good good design philosophy about in general actually about the Requiem clans. Is all their powers tend to go together really well in really interesting combinations. Yeah. The other yeah, th- fun thing point. is that you can quite easily with Ventry play the the classic archetype of like the um, you know the the sus- overly suspicious paranoid vampire that is with you know quite literally you know digging their claws into the very last bits of power they have to control things and that externally looks like may look like madness setting in like delusion setting in because they see enemies at every corner in every shadow so they also quite happily cover some of the things that if you were you know obviously more familiar with masquerade they actually do cover kind of the the archetypes of say malkavians from that game yeah so yeah they're, they're they're good fun in that respect uh, one one thing I really like about the Ventru is it's not an obvious take on them, but they can kind of do the secret agent, which is more of a maquette thing. But a Ventru can go around just planting little, you know, little secret commands in people and just snap his fingers, and suddenly everyone's the Manchurian candidate. And I think that yeah, another really creepy trope about them. Hmm. And I think this is a good point to actually say that each one of these clans, if you you know, you read through, has a has a an understanding of where they 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 come from uh because masquerade has this oh sorry not masquerade let's forget <laughs> that word let's say requiem damn, <laughs> damn it requiem has this wonderful and we've said this before in the podcast as well requiem has this really um cool uh notion that you know the bloodlines of vampires that form clans have converged upon being that clan so there are many vampires in the world that over history have slowly through i guess through darwinianism and you know survival of the fittest you know have converged on certain powers and they identify together as clan deva or clan ventru 
which is why also we have in uh, Requiem in second edition, we also do get dis- discussions of some lost clans. There are the Akud, there is the Julii, there is the Piavik. Uh, uh, yeah. So the I, I, it's that's a really cool concept, I feel, within Requiem yeah. of the idea that there have actually been many different clans through history. And again, they've either you know, been destroyed or they've been fractured and consumed into the other clans. And that adds, again, that kind of weird fuzziness to the history because you can then say, well, actually, Clan Mechet has many creators of the clan. Yeah, yeah, they just don't know who they are. They all just eventually, over history, converged upon the same thing, and they got together and went, "We're basically the same thing." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, they I forgot think... the history of where they came from, so they went, "Okay, we're, we're, we identify as a collective." Done. Uh, I think there, there's a really cool detail. I think it's in the Nosferatu clan book um, about you know the Nosferatu are corpses who rose from the grave and. The brother, the myth of the brothers worm in in Greece and things like that. But they also talk about like First Nations vampires, these things that would also rise from the grave. And this idea that I, I'm stealing this from someone said this on Twitter, and I, I'm forgetting who who it was. But it was a great line about how vampire is just a shape that dead things converge into to prey on the living, and mm-hmm. all the clans in one way or another kind of ex- express that. Um, yeah, the multiple origin is such a such a cool way of doing that. This again, it's another yeah. way that that requiem is weirder. It's stranger. There's there's kind of something in the DNA that's making you this pushes you towards this thing. There's actually anthropological theories about something similar to that with uh with human evolution. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. We we all kind of all these different semi Homo sapiens made the same similar leap in different areas. Yeah. yeah. Um, Leaping intelligence, I should say. Um, I was going to say that the one other t- little detail uh, is that there are the big five clans and there are the lost clans, um, but there are sort of stranger clans kind of out there in the world doing things. And sometimes it's just variants. Like you, there uh, the Maquette have the Hollow, who are Maquette, generally they're just Maquette, but they have this shadow thing that follows them around. This this reflection that hates them for dying and rejecting them. Um, but then you have weirder things like I, I wrote some of these for, um, for Spilled Blood. Uh, you have things like the Hypatian clan who are uh, like Promethean vampires. And you have the Twice Cursed who are, uh, they have the curses of the Deva and the Nosferatu and they tend to kill other vampires. And uh, and then there's uh, the Amari who are like these Arctic vampires who who've kind of been destroyed, speaking of evolution, destroyed by climate change and things. So there are other things out there uh, uh, that you can pick up and play. And it's a little more optional, but I think that's kind of a strength of this, of, of Requiem is that you can have these weird things out the corners that these, you know, these evolutionary dead ends, effectively. The other good thing, obviously, if we're going to talk about the, the, the clans and, you know, let's forget bloodlines because that's all optional and all these <laughs> other dead clans they're all optional if you go from the core the main the other important thing is that there is no real what i I would say snowflake disciplines and at least (laughs) since first edition those have been weeded out maybe to a certain extent because that was one of the annoying things whenever there was a new clan added to masquerade there was at least in the previous editions v5 has rectified some of this to 
great effect. You know, there, there would be a new discipline tree and you'd be like, but most of those, you look at it and go, really? What is that doing that's different to celerity? What's that doing to different to thaumaturgy? Or what's that different to protein? So, and if we consider how we don't have that in Requiem and we just have these five plants for new players to a game about vampires, your choices are actually quite easy to pick from there are five clans there's a lot of breadth within how you play that a character from that clan but there's just there, there is five options that makes choices easier because remember the other thing is that clans are as we said not family so this is again something that was reinforced towards the end of revised edition of mass Break, but fuck your fa- fuck the clans like you know <laughs> yeah. a clan does not define you as a person it does influence how you hunt because of the disciplines. It does have some external influences, but it doesn't mean I'm a gangrel, so therefore I am this. Yeah. You don't have to like other gangrel. You might actually hate all the other gangrel in the city. Yeah, right. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and it was really good, uh, Sam, that you corrected me before about, you know, the clans not really being families because the real... They certainly like to think they are. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. But the real, like potentially fraternal uh, aspects of uh, Vampire the Requiem are, of course, the Covenants. So a lot of the basic tension in Requiem comes from this kind of political cold war, which is between the various Covenants of the city. Um, and these Covenants are basically, you know, they're, they're political structures, um, which can vary, you know, from city to city. Uh, some cities will have particular Covenants be dominant. And as you guys were alluding to uh, earlier, in, in this uh, stream, uh, some of the um, covenants uh, are going to be very different between different cities, or even different in the same city, which can definitely be uh, be very interesting. You know, we can have heresies, for example, within the same city, and those kinds of conflicts. So let's talk about the uh, the five core covenants that you find in the uh, the basic rulebook. Um, starting off. Uh, in alphabetical order, we have the Carthians. So the Carthians are, uh, as you guys were kind of alluding to earlier, um, usually the more, mm, I don't want to say less structured, but the the uh, vampires that want to uh, kind of ensure like particular rights, hunting grounds and the like in the city. Anti-status and quo have, is sort of the way to think yeah. it. Yeah, correct, correct. So, right, they want to typically break down like the... Uh, the old guard uh, aspects of the city and enforce uh, well they can through their through their strictures kind of enforce laws and the like to help them in their their kind of quest in that manner so Carthians are, are great if you want your character to be maybe a bit of a renegade or maybe maybe just kind of a free thinker in the city um, but of course as we were alluding to I would say uh, typically a Carthian covenant in a city would probably be the most fractious <laughs> you know that would be that would be kind of the default because you have so many different ideas they don't necessarily have to be leftist you could have i don't know the distributism <laughs> carthian in the city that one weirdo over there that's <laughs> waving his orange flag I, for example i was joking about a- uh, anarcho-capitalist carthians earlier and that is that mm-hmm. is totally a viable play play mode totally viable yeah um they don't have to be an inclusive group whatsoever they can be radical to this point that they go we want to change the status quo which also means ostracizing or 
or or you know ostracizing or 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 basically just having prejudice to a particular group be it ethnic group religion yeah. etc yeah. carthians are not in that respect then carthians are definitely they they share similarity but they are definitely not the by default they are not the anarchs of yeah. masquerade they are Carthians can actually be a lot more scary in some respects. <laughs> like the idea you could have yeah. the Carthian, a Carthian revolution occur in a city and it become, as Mike said, like more of a police state for the vampires with stricter rules than even what the Invictus or, or Lancair Sanctum could come up with is yeah, scary. Right. right. And and that could be a very interesting thing. Um, so we'll talk about Lancair Sanctum later, but they are the... Uh, and we'll get into this more, but like <laughs> the deep lore, Christian-ish vampire sect, Christian-inspired vampire They're sect, Christian uh, or or covenant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, but what if you had a a very strict fundamentalist fundamentalist Christian so social gospel in your city, Carthians, Yeah, right. So you you have these two very similar uh, uh, covenants, at least in a, in a kind of basic veneer just going at each other's throats um, um, and really well, just kind of calling each other heretics or you can quite like. easily very interesting. in that respect also have members i mean looking at that example uh that carthian could actually be a member of the lancaster sanctum mm-hmm. so you've got yeah. this this thing that the lancaster sanctum ah, yeah. forms the the um the second estate the religious um of what's going on and the car but they they accept that the carthians deal with the political mm-hmm. ram, you know running yeah. of the city and you can have that. You can have your, your vampire, your your requiem character could be a member of multiple covenants quite happily, so long as the city and mm. politics all balances out, and that's um, okay. But that's a brilliant point when shit goes down. Your character is caught in the middle. Yeah, uh, I was. Right, I, and they have to make that choice. As I, I think this is actually in the rule book, and it's it's even if it's not, it's a brilliant line. Somebody said that uh, Carthians are revolutionaries where humans are the means of production and i think that's a great way to emphasize like this is a this is another thing uh the covenants do emphasize going back to horror you know this is it is this structure of of revolutionaries and radicals and humans are just the they're they're just the blood bags that they need to take down the man right like they don't care about you they don't care if you're free they're free um, yeah, and I think that's a cool. Uh, Carthians are not good guys. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an important important point to make. So let's move on to the Circle of the Crone. Um, I know Chris, you've uh, you've read the uh, the Covenant book for this. So you <laughs> yeah, I've read all details. the Covenant books. If you go back to them, oh, they excellent. are dry excellent. reading. Yeah. <laughs> I, upset, I will dry reading. I will but... fight you about the Ordo Dracul one, but yes, I generally agree with that. <laughs> But they are right, they right. are very good reference books for mm-hmm. second edition. Side note, side tangent for people: a lot of the source books are great because you don't need to read them, you know, cover to cover. You can just zero in on the section you're interested in. You know, for the Circle of the Crone one, for example, you might go in and be like, "Hmm, which sort of which cult do I want to run? What kind of a structure do I want to use? Do I want to be much more uh, Wiccan, for example, or do I want to uh, riff off of you know Soren?" Uh, certain like um, conspiracy theories about witches, for example, and use that as a, a as a basic structure. So, as I was just kind of alluding to, Circle of the Crone are the pagan 
covenant. They have a lot of uh, you know options for kind of more more magical rituals, um, and they um, have a uh, uh, just kind of an interesting interesting take on on witchcraft in a in a vampire game. I really like the way of thinking of um, the covenants as there's sort of two axes. You have uh, radical and conservative. You have secular and uh, uh, secular and uh, uh, religious. And so the circle of the crone falls under their radical, but they are also religious. So they're kind of pairing with the Carthians in terms of like their their mobility in the world of uh, in in the all night society. But they're more like the like at sanctum in terms of like we are religious. So there that's the contrast right and the circle of the crone is they are about paganism but they are also about like even even more in some ways than the carthians you are free to be a vampire uh go out there eat all the humans don't fall to the beast too far that's not great but the mother goddess loves it when you murder you know um like that their their thing is about like we are the primal predators of of the night and we should not hide that um and our goddess has given us blood sorcery to prove that. So I, I like to think of the Circle of the Crone as having kind of, they, they share some DNA from, from the Sabbat in, in Old Vampire, uh, in Vampire the Masquerade, but a little more like concentrated in terms of not, not so much like, you know, you're not trying to awaken or you're not trying to find any gods that are coming down on you. Just, just that like, you are free to be a vampire. You're not human anymore, but you are free to be a vampire and here's how you'd be really good at that and that's 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 a key thing is like it's they're very they're not a again they're not a mono myth in that mm-hmm. respect they there are they are a recurring thing for some reason not every cult in every city has the same beliefs they don't even have the same history they are really a in some respects, they're standalone constructs in the sense that they, they again, you've got groups of vampires that realize or at least have a belief that they're, they're apart, they're, they're separate from the cycle of life within the world. And then they realize the best way of expressing this concept is through the idea of the, um, ch- of the child woman crone cycle of paganism. Maiden mother crone, yeah. Yeah, there we go. And and through that, and through experimentation, they come up with their blood sorcery. So, you know, they're, in that respect, they within a city, you can actually have where cult, where a, the circle of crone cult dies out, and then has a resurgence, and has no <laughs> continuity with the previous one. And other than they seemingly follow a few structures that are quite similar because cults are cults and they have some powers which are very similar just because of the expression of the of of uh vitae through cruac they're really fun because of that i really really like them um i really like the whole i think key of them is their philosophy about how they try to understand where vampires fit in the world where they're outside outside the cycle of life mm-hmm. um so, um, moving on then, we've got the Invictus. So, the Invictus are our classic lords of the lords of the dead. Uh, they have their feudal hierarchy. They like to have someone at the top, and they yeah. dish out prestige and hunting grounds to everyone below them. Uh, 
they've got some cool i wouldn't say powers but merits the kind of abilities that tie into that i really <laughs> like the fact they've got their dynastic houses so when one vampire sleeps another one awakes and this allows continuity for most people they're going to be the most similar to to the camera from masquerade but i still think they're quite distinct from the camera they, they really are um i was i was gonna say one the big emphasis and I keep going back to what's changed because that's just what, what's on my mind a lot lately. Um, what I really like about the Invictus <clears throat> in second edition is they, they are the aristocracy of the night, but they are also the secret police of the night. Um, they are there to tell you the masquerade is the all important rule of this society that we live in. And we are going to enforce it and we're going to make sure you follow it. Um, and that adds this level of certain kind of spycraft to the Invictus. You can play, you know, the noble sitting up in his castle, but you can also play like the, um, you know, the the spy who came out from the cold, the vampire, uh, you know, this kind of grim creature wandering around the all night society, making sure that everyone, everyone's acting like a human in just the way that, you know, the prince wants. Uh, and I think that's that's a really cool mode of play for a vampire game playing this this especially if you're a venture or a maquette you know you go out and, and uh maybe they don't even know your name they just know you as the you know you're the sheriff that's all you are anymore um so that's one cool thing about the invictus is that they have this level the uh this this spy craft but also combined with this conservative totalitarianism i mean not co not cool in a good way fun to play fun to be horrifying um I would also say, like, again, within the Invictus, I think you can do with the fact that there are other things within other books, like minor cults that don't fit the crown and don't fit mm -hmm. the Lancare Sanctum. You you can easily fit within the Invictus a in a particular city. They may have their own cult or religion that they follow. So you can nest things within them. Just as we said, you can have Carthians which are actually quite religious or, 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 or not religious in the same way the Invictus could be like, no, we, we ban all faith. Like they are totally secular and want the city that way or actually have their own internal, um, you know, mythology that they, they adhere to. Um, yeah, I, they're just, they're, again, you could look at them and go, they look like the Camarilla, but they really are not. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, again, the strength of Requiem is you can really push this theme to be as strong as you like in the idea of how do you want to represent a feudal or at least a hierarchical system of control within, within a vampire society. Um, there's no reason why the Invictus could not be a little bit more democratic if you wanted to, because democracy is about dishing out power through a rules-based system. Have, have some democracy maybe, as a treat. <laughs> maybe just their system is yeah. still too rigid for the, the Carthians. Um, okay, so the Lancare Sanctum, as we've spoken of, uh, we've, we've alluded to their, their Christian laughers. No. Um, <laughs> but they are... I'm going to keep that. i got to remember that one. They're, they're vampires which have a faith based around what is the role of vampirism within God's plan. We use God in the big term, but yeah. they have an origin which likely predates uh, Judaism. So I, you could possibly suggest even the Lancaster Sanctum go all the way back to the very early uh, 
uh, monotheistic faith of Ankhenaten of, uh, mm-hmm. within Egypt, which mostly aligns them better with the history yeah. behind Theban sorcery, which is their kind of blood magic they they have. But of course, they through the the eons have obviously tried to reconcile how what they believe that they're doing fits within God's plan. So they see themselves as I, I think as as the by being vampires, they have been blessed. <laughs> rather than cursed yep. to be Rejoice the wolves for your of, of being blessed to be the wolves of god they are the ones which have been taken outside of the system to police the system of mankind the system being souls sinners uh so within the lancaster sanctum there are many different creeds so again how they want to interpret god's plan and how they fit within it so there's the westminster creed uh there'll be the uh i can't think of it but there'll be the one which is uh, basically you know the creed of of peter oh, oh sorry oh Paul. yeah yeah you know so you've got um, so you can also play them as actually there's no reason why you can't play them as more monotheistic in the fact they may have beliefs that fit with the the pillars of islam or they fit with more judaism but they are your monotheistic vampires yeah. who who believe they're part of a plan i i think yeah. you could you could easily uh spread it into it doesn't have to be a monotheistic religion either right you can definitely use them with like uh, hinduism mm-hmm. you know particularly if you're focusing on like uh brahma and shiva well, that, that that is a that is a cool thing about sort of the setting is that things like Kruk and Theban sorcery kind of crop up where they don't other, you know, Western vampires don't expect them because yeah. like anyone you get, you assume, Oh, well, oh, we're the only ones who had that revelation from God. Um, and then you go off to, you know, East India, things like that and find, Oh shit. All right. Well, they know, <laughs> they know what we know. That's a problem. <laughs> um, I, I was going to say one of the, 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 the way I kind of try to pitch the Lenke at Sanctum is because they, they, they kind of, it, read too closely they kind of seem like debbie downers like they're the no funners of the world of darkness and i think that they are actually kind of the the covenant you play if you want to play the really debauched character because they're damned like their philosophy is well humans have great humans can achieve grace they can go to heaven us there is nothing for us we are absolutely going to hell but we can carve out a really nice little swell piece of hell if we keep the sinners and the righteous in line um, and which kind of also justifies them just not having any rules uh like whatever they do is justified by god like maybe that is a sin but it doesn't matter because i'm going to hell anyway um so there is that sort of more like the gothic kind of um uh you know the clubware kid kind of thing for the lancaster sanctum it's not all just catholicism and and midnight masses there's, there's, there's this always confession mystic aspect sorry go ahead there's always confession as well for yeah yeah guys. yeah you know there's always confession and there's always um uh what is it where you uh that catholicism oh had, uh, which was, uh scout scourging and um that and what was it where you pay for you know oh, indulgences. indulgences so you could definitely see indulgences working into the into the sanctified when they when the landcare wants to move in on a particular city well, especially if you if your indulgence is is feeding your you know your ghoul to your bishop or something yeah and, and murdering other kindred when yeah. it's against the rules yeah or the traditions typically good fun <laughs> uh, mike any comments on them <laughs> uh no i think he has really covered it um 
Yeah, it seems like they really grew since they, the they uh, have, yeah. the original core book um, because it was very much uh, originally very much steeped in the testament of Longinus mm. and uh, and kind of like the the early early bits of, of Christianity uh, and it really expanded with the uh, covenant book and in uh, second edition as well. I was going to say that the covenant book for for the sanctified is I think it's the first one they ever did and so it is it is it feels very creaky it it it's mm. it hadn't quite gone through the growing pains but I will say as as kind of a little recommendation uh the testament of longinus is seriously one of the best books that was written for for requiem first edition or second edition it's it is like it's all in world. There's no crunch or anything. But it's just it's a it's a great read. It's kind of a hilarious read actually. Uh, but if you really want to understand this covenant, I I really recommend reading it. it like you could polish it off in a day. Um, really really good. I need to get a copy then. <laughs> it's really fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Final covenant uh, to cover is the Ordo Dracul. So um, so their background is the idea that. Dracula was, you know, uh, Vlad Tepes was cursed by God. No one really knows. It's sure which type of clan he got cursed to be a member of. Their, Could have been his own clan. Their whole shtick is that they are, I, they're not really religious, and they're they're they they have some order, some structure, <laughs> but also they're looking for evolution. So that's where they're the philosophical scientists of the of of requiem in my mind they are the ones which they are trying to understand the vampiric curse and and grow beyond it so it is no longer a limitation or at least evolve the beast and evolve their powers so that they well not even their powers because their abilities come from beyond discipline so that they can weather sunlight even um they are the ones which will keep little chantries little organizations essentially they create research labs or they'll they'll host like talks where they'll be experimenting on some some vampire they've created purely to experiment upon Mm um yeah i i and so their main focus is the coils the coils are falling to it there's a few different ones and that look at different ways of overcoming the limitations of the beast um yeah so i don't know that i i see them as the philosophical kind of scientist vampires in the sense but scientists in that kind of very victorian kind of sense where is it really it's not true science that they're doing because obviously it borders onto the occult and so doesn't follow the rules of science um <laughs> yeah uh i was gonna say uh uh one thing about the the order direct rules they br- i had that little quadrant thing i brought up earlier and they absolutely break that down they're they're on the z-axis um yeah and, and it's the occulted z-axis because as you kind of put it chris that they believe in god but they say fuck you god uh they're progressive but they have a very strict hierarchy they want to evolve but also you know you don't go against the dragon in front of you unless you can kill him you know and that might be part of your work um i i love the order dracul i think order dracul are probably my favorite because they're such a gonzo element of the that requiem like they're just there's nothing really like them in masquerade or even a lot of a lot of vampire fiction um 
And the coils of the dragon are such an interesting concept of like personal evolution instead of just like, well, I go out and, you know, uh, mind control you. Um, I, I think they actually do until until recently with V5. I think they do better. <laughs> I actually think they, they better represent what I feel Tremere vampires should be doing. I, I agree. I completely agree. Um, I was, <laughs> which is a strong take, isn't it? Oh yeah, we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're we're dishing out the hot ones today. Um, um, I, I was going to yeah. say that uh, there's a joke that in in groups I've played with over the years that you know water is wet, the sky is blue, and it's the order of Dracul's fault. Um, it's 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 always come down to the dragons. It's always some dragon doing something he really shouldn't. Um, and they're the ones that have the greatest opportunity for crossover within uh, Chronicles yeah. of Darkness because they're looking for like the ley lines, the the, um, the worms nests, and, and the worms nests of these loci where yep. where the ambient magical energy of the world coalesces. So these, of course, these these loci, these worms nests, as they call them, are where they go to to perform crucibles where they they basically are channeling this energy into their bodies to change of course who's going to be using these sites as well well yeah. they're going to be bloody haunted <laughs> great or great. there's going to be werewolves there and spirits or spirits on their own anyway brilliant mages will be setting up shop there okay that's fun <laughs> and quite likely anything else that has a reason to be sat on one of these ley lines and uh absorbing its energy for some reason i mean you know a lay a loci is a pretty good place for a promethean firestorm to get mm-hmm. started so that's the other good thing these guys are i feel are have the strongest um reason to have crossover with the grander chronicles of darkness yeah, it, it, they they make great Absolutely. antagonists uh, yes. too. Like the Order of Dra- the you know it's Dragon's fault, but the Order of Dracul just there's there's it's hard to guess where that's gonna go. Just as a player, like what is this what is this covenant up to? Because the others, not that they're they're flat or one note, but they're there's sort of a um, there's a set idea of what their polities are, what their obsessions are, and the Order of Dracul can be like, well, I have I got news for you. Um, so yeah, I love I love the order of cool. Now, given that I'm yeah. aware of we are definitely running out of time, I knew yes. this would happen. Right. So uh, <laughs> we'll briefly say within the game there are many bloodlines. Uh, there are there are loads and more than you would ever expect. The key factor in this is, and I would always recommend that you should definitely, if you're uh, a storyteller for this game, pick up. Um, Dots, Bloody Dots uh, by Rose Bailey. So this is a wonderful uh, book on the Storytellers Vault, which essentially explains how they went about balancing all the disciplines within Requiem, uh, well, mainly for second edition. Because the whole point about the disciplines in Requiem is that no discipline, as you go up the discipline tree for your Mm. chosen thing, no higher discipline... um, invalidates the previous yeah. one so it doesn't make it doesn't mean like oh mm-hmm. dominate one is now useless because i've got dominate three which does dominate one but more mm-hmm. they're st- always mm-hmm. always lower ones are always still useful so that's important because of course requiem allows you to also create bloodlines it has a, a guidance rule system for creating your own bloodline so i think that's the main thing to say on that front yeah. also 
you should feel happy to make your own covenant if you want to. By all means, do so. Again, there are dead covenants. There are legendary covenants. There's seven, for example, mm -hmm. who have different histories. There is um, the Belle Isle's Brood, which if you're going to if you're going to use really like demon worshipping satanic vampires by all means do so but get the covenant book for them because it has different versions of how you can interpret them so that combined with things like um ashen cults from vampire the masquerade dark ages oh, yeah. series combined gives you wonderful different ways to create these really like gnostic or um aesthetic cults that are trying to like um yeah, that are trying to like that are obviously trying to rationalise that they are these monsters within human bodies. Uh, I was um, going to say, sorry, quick, quick uh, note. Uh, Belial's Brood in Second Edition is they there. It's um it's updated in uh, Spilled Blood, and it's very different from the first edition version. Oh, cool! I need and to read I, that. And I've, then. I've always been interested in like, uh, can you kind of have both? Because the the original is this grand conspiracy of Gnostic Satanists, and the new version is like humanity zero vampires who have regained their intelligence and there's other things going on there too but I, I i'm interested in the idea much like seven are there just several different things that claim belial's brood for themselves and that's just sort of like that's a name that keeps getting taken up uh, over the centuries yeah and then into this hot pot of course and this gets us into what do you do mm -hmm. what type of games are you running we also have the strix um so the strix are kind of a bloodline well kind of a kind of a clan kind of a covenant kind of not kind of are but basically they're the they are spirits that aren't quite like the spirits of werewolf or the spirits of mage because they don't quite obey all the rules but okay. the thing is they can embody they can possess vampires they can possess uh dead bodies as well and animate them and that means they can, and these bodies possessed, whether kindred or not, are vampires. <laughs> they obey the rules of kindred, which means they can also embrace others. And this gets us into the very murky origins of the Ventru, <laughs> the, the destruction of the Julii, and a wonderful segment of Requiem, which I've personally not played through, but I do think it'd be a really cool chronicle. I would love to play it as a stream game, is to play Requiem based in the Roman age, which is Requiem for Rome. Have you never played Requiem for Rome? I've not. I would love oh, to play through it. It's that so maybe is, If you want to run it, run it as a stream game for Dark yeah. Age Radio. That's well, I have. I, I I won't spoil anything. I have some plans for Requiem for Rome second edition. So ooh, okay, we should definitely do that. We'll talk. Um, we'll talk. But given that's an established chronicle that you can go out and buy this mm -hmm. two books for it so let's talk let's really focus on this last like 15 minutes what stories are we playing in requiem like what what are we focusing upon just put it out there yeah absolutely so um i mean like any good role-playing game there's infinite infinite stories you can tell infinite ways to play but uh you know this game does have rules and i think those can really inform uh a lot of the uh, kind of gameplay cycles that we have in the game uh, I think a really important one to highlight would be humanity, mm -hmm. um, because it's definitely, you know, people keep mentioning Vampire the Masquerade. It's different in, uh, mm -hmm. in Vampire the Requiem 2nd Edition, because this attribute of humanity, which all of the vampire player characters and NPCs have, it, it shows... So, vampires aren't <laughs> human anymore. They're just... They're not. 
okay, you're a blood drinking creature that's dead. But it kind of shows how much you can fake being human. And, you know, if you are, if you have very low uh, humanity, you're very alien, strange, weird, um, take more damage from sunlight. But if you have high humanity, you're just, you're, you're pretty good at faking it and kind of fooling people. But you're also kind of <laughs> fooling yourself. And there can be natural vampire processes that happen, like just falling into torpor, which is going to sleep as a vampire for you know being knocked unconscious or being too old and that will just reduce your humanity immediately because you realize that you're not human anymore um and you know these these vampiric characters also need to work with uh mortal touchstones to be able to maintain that humanity so you can definitely have games um you know, besides the vampire politics, maybe in like a small town with just a couple of vampire characters and just kind of exploring and doing the kind of social interactions between these non-human characters and these people in the town. So that can give you a lot of stories right there. Or that can just be a side plot, side plot to a more uh, political game of uh, a vampire. The right so what, you're, what you're basically describing there is what I would call soap opera vampire to yeah. a certain extent. Yeah. It's yeah. The, yeah, I mean, while absolutely. we may go, okay, is that really exciting? The dealing with, you know, remember that the exciting things in games happen when you shift away from the status quo. So, yeah. but in order to know what the status quo is, you're going to have to establish it. So doing these sessions and whether it's a story or a vignette of your character interact with their human touchstones. How are they making their money? How are they retaining their notion of what it is to be a human? How are they maintaining that friendship with that human touchstone? Yeah. Is important for all the characters to do to establish their day-to-day -day life. Once we know what that is, we can reference it in a very quick way later on in our chronicles, but we need to know what it is. Right. And then we can return to it when we go, well, what happens when that gets that that interaction? <laughs> is that risk when something goes wrong? And it can be as mundane as that touchstone realizes you're a vampire. Mm -hmm. Or it could be really bad where that touchstone has been be, has been watched by for months by mortal hunters or another vampire who hates your guts. So yeah. these touchstones I think are critical for establishing that that, as you said, Mike, that that loop of gameplay yeah. or that framework for it. I I, I love touchstones in, in both Requiem and Masquerade because it's it's a little gift to the storyteller where they can ask you, okay players, how are you going to fuck this up? Like it's such a great drama engine of having that relationship, even if it's a really horrible relationship. Like most Venture do not have great relationships with their touchstones because they're kind of sociopaths. Um, but it's it's you're gonna cling to that thing anyway, because that's what's holding you to this world. And if you don't, you're turned into a bloodthirsty monster forever, and that's it, you're gone. Um, I, I was gonna say earlier uh, that one, one thing I like about this game is that clan pushes you away from humanity and the covenants for all their horror kind of push you back towards it but humanity is not about morality it's about how you behave it's yeah. about how you navigate being this blood-sucking monster in a world of human beings and that that's a cool plot too like figuring out how to place yourself in that awkward space well yeah because like like the rest of chronicles of darkness with how we have the um integrity because that's how 
normal humans operate you have break breaking points and that's essentially really just saying establishing what thing what bad things erode your vampire's ability to fake being human um so i think within that you know obviously within what you've got the you've got the everyday politics because you know life is politics um you've got the everyday interactions between a vampire and mortals around them that most probably is going to be about 60 70 percent of their interactions in in a month uh I think any sane vampire would only want to interact with other vampires on a on a <laughs> infrequent basis because obviously the the other interactions are going to be really with your covenant and and likely your co- uh, and more likely your coterie and while it was not considered one of the best requiem books at the time going back to it i still think it's the strong it's one of the strongest ones out there still is the book coteries because this book (laughs) actually gives you group templates for coteries that are either mono um covenant mono covenant coteries or mixed coteries or mono clan coteries and it's by working out that template of who you're who your coterie is that fits in that enables and helps your your storyteller work out what type of stories you as players want to to play so if you're going to be the fixers the ones that go out you know clearing up the mess well then that clearly means that you're less likely going to be a coterie that's creating the masquerade breaches but you're the ones that are sent out to to fix them you're you're the cleanup Um, crew yeah yeah or if you're the or maybe you're the ones which are like the researchers so you're not going to have much you know combat going on but you're expected because you're the ones that are turned to maybe by the auto draco to to um steal borrow (laughs) uh discover ancient lore and it's interesting again the fact that we have this this book that is that looks at this and we now have in V five of all games, we have <laughs> coterie types. Um, <laughs> so I think it's I think that's that's a really important aspect is working out your group template for how you're going to play yeah. because that also means you as a storyteller can go well. Okay, you're obeying the limitations I'm putting upon you, so I'm going to reward you with some things yeah. to enhance that type of story. Um, there, there's a lot of good stuff for that in um, Secrets of the Covenants uh, for. Um, uh, for second edition, there's, there's, it's mostly covenant oriented, but there are interesting social merits on how to like, how to move between the different covenants and things and how that affects your coterie. Uh, I was going to say, Chris, you mentioned, you know, stealing lore and stuff. Uh, and that kind of made me remember that I think Rose Bailey said this, that, that vampires kind of bread and butter plot is, is kind of the crime drama. Whether yeah. that's that's the Godfather or whether that's Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Fangs, you know, uh, like it's kind of it, you could do heists, you can do uh, like I said, the Godfather. You can even do like the raid things like the raid, um, but like vampires often are criminals, and that is a really solid plot that you can plug into the game uh, really easily. Uh, and if you want to weird it up with maybe there's a Strix involved somewhere or the Order of Dracul's experimenting on a Frankenstein's monster, you know, things like that. Um, but I think Requiem does that that sort of, um, and, you know, going back to melodrama and things, it does that criminal element really well. I, I think 
probably the best of of all the games. Maybe Hunter does crime pretty well too, but yeah, um, cool, cool. Obviously, the other thing we haven't spoken about in this is uh, disciplines, which really just fit into the type of stories that you're running, um, because obviously, certain kindred are able to do certain wonderful. Uh, <laughs> blood-based uh, abilities and so again I get I guess within the, the the sense of a crime drama or procedural kind of investigations that you know allows you to to work out why something's occurred why have, uh, why is this murder happened this way why is this important human dead and there's no evidence so knowing about disciplines and how they work into that is important um, also uh, Mike, you've put several powers can inspire stories or shift the game. Or was that your note? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just kind of bringing up that, um, you know, disciplines going wrong can yes. cause uh, story elements that you wouldn't expect, like your dominate to wipe someone's mind, conditioning, if you will, fails. And then you have to deal with that, you know, or maybe you have to get someone else to deal with it. Or, you know, there's a bunch of like, psychotic breakdowns across the city uh, which have very nightmarish descriptions so then your vampires who know about disciplines are like hmm could be the nightmare discipline could be a rogue Nasratu maybe it's something completely different I've sometimes said that cool powers should be you know cool for your player but they should also be plot hooks like they all have you know elements of telling a story just about that discipline Um, whether it's nightmare or dominate even the physical disciplines and one other thing I wanted to highlight uh, about Vampire the Requiem is the the fog of ages that exists. Because um, one thing that happens in Requiem is that older vampires eventually will fall into torpor. They'll go, go to sleep for decades, centuries, etc. And then they don't necessarily remember what so, happened to them. When so this has actually up. changed in second edition. Yeah, this, this is one of the coolest. Oh, changed in second oh, edition, but yeah. I still like it. Okay. I personally still like it. it. It's you know what's cool. Okay, okay, so I I'm a I'm a bit of an apologist <laughs> for the fog of ages. I know that it wasn't everyone's favorite thing. Sure. So yeah, you would you would uh, you'd fall like to torpor <laughs> and you wouldn't quite remember things about your life. And they they more or less gotten rid of that in second edition, but. It kind of follows okay. the idea. It's still sort of a thing in the sense that, like, I don't remember what I had lunch had for lunch on Tuesday, so I'm not likely to remember what I had for lunch 2,000 years ago. It's more that human memory is fallible. So vampires are like, yes, I met Martin Luther, but I don't really remember anything else that, from that time. Maybe, and you know, human memories change okay. and they shift as we recall them. So there is, it's sort of still there, but it's not a magical curse. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, I mean, that that is the cool thing about Requiem is that the history history is written by the vampires and vampires are liars. You know, that's mm. the fog of ages. Right, right. So, no, that still oh, works totally with does. the plot idea I was going for, where you have, like, a fallible, fallible memory still works, uh, where, I don't know, like, perhaps you could definitely have someone, uh, you know, maybe you had, like, a ghoul that was writing things down mm. for you through the ages, and then they make mm. little changes, and that messes you up, and you kind of realize that. Or maybe you realize that, you know, eventually you just kind of realize that your touchstone that you have, you know, this mortal that you've been talking to, you remember someone uh, just yeah. like it in the past. And, you know, you can kind of harken back, and maybe they'll remember, oh, oh, I, I ate the old touchstone. <laughs> Whoops. Well, that- and that kind of stuff, which will always be really fun to kind of play with as a storyteller, you know, put those seeds in. Or maybe the player will come up with them themselves as well, which is definitely... 
very delightful. Uh, is there anything else we should talk about for like game concepts or exploring the game, or should we move on to just a little bit, a little smidgen on crossover? Um, oh, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. I mean, there's if you've played the first edition, there are obvious some changes. Predator's yeah. Taint is gone. Um, again, I didn't mind too much the idea of vampires, like just the innate beast kind of like getting its heckles up, but it was yeah. just a, I think the way it was written was not the way intended. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin Achille has said that it yeah. was misinterpreted a lot. And, and I, I like what, the, so they have predatory auras now for people who yeah. have not, not read the new edition where it's more like vampires can tell each other on site because, you know, it's like lions walking into the same territory. And now they can lash out each at each other and you know play games of dominance chicken. It's it's a little more active. It's not as passive as as the predator's tank was. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I can't think of anything else that was kind of like brand new. Otherwise, like that was a distinct oh, re- revenants. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Revenants are, are um, uh, basically so. Vampire the Masquerade and Vampire the Requiem, it's never really been about, uh, you know, you bite a guy and then he turns into a vampire. You have to make a deliberate choice. Where, But in Requiem 2nd Edition, now you have to kind of be careful not to shit where you eat. Because uh, sometimes if you kill a person, if you drain them of blood and they have a bit of blood in their system, or you've just, you know, you've interacted with them a lot, they might come back as these things called revenants, which are sort of quasi-kindred-like vampires that are just disastrously hungry. Every night they wake up with no blood in their systems. And the other thing about them is that they can find you really easily. They can start to track you down. Um, so those are a really cool plot element. I, I wish we could go more into them, but I think we're running out of time. No, that, that's cool. Indeed, uh, The other thing Indeed. you can do in the game is there are combo disciplines called devotions. Again, that's really fun. Um, so we've we've spoken about the different things in in game wise. So we've I think we've really expressed the fact that this game has a lot of scope for personal horror. Um, you're not dealing with uh, what I would call millennial well millennial horror. Millennial being like oh the end times are coming. It's more forgotten ancient evils like oh oh fuck we forgot that existed and having to deal with it and also the 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 ennui of of just being a vampire like oh it's the same crap again it's tuesday (laughs) and tuesday is like tuesday 100 years ago where someone's out to kill me they unearthed Um, steve and steve is mad about that and yeah, exactly. So, yeah, crossover. What can we do crossover-wise? Uh, we've already said the Auto Draco has a lot of scope for crossover with the other um, other groups within the World of Darkness. Uh, but what other crossovers can we um, look at? I think the most obvious one, and it's kind of a cliche because of media and, and things, but I think werewolves are a really good crossover for vampires because even though their their spheres of influence are very different, they're both very invested in territory and hunting. Yeah. And occasionally werewolves do hunt humans. And I think that that makes a kind of a cool clash of cultures, the reason that you hunt, you know? Because werewolves hunt because it's their sacred duty. Vampires hunt because gotta eat. Um, and I, I think there's neat things you can do with that that kind of play mode, especially because I think my default the vampires and werewolves are one of the few monsters that actually do rec- kind of recognize each other. Not not specifically, but they can feel their auras coming off of each other. Yeah, I think there's the rivalry between their innate 
bestiality yeah um bestial nature um clashes also you know vampires by by nature of hunting uh and when things go wrong with vampires again like revenants or or whatever other conflicts or just and so forth taints the environment and that has a reflection in the spirit realm which is why werewolves get involved so that's always good um my automatic go-to is the fact that uh the mechet uh because we've alluded to can do posthumous embrace uh posthumous embraces so they can essentially embalm a person and then embrace them at a later date i think mecha are a wonderful go-to as a um as being part of a mummy's cult yeah, because yeah. two immortal beings mm-hmm. one of which doesn't have to sleep as often as the other but the other one is massively powerful and um and they have uh, rituals and beliefs that have a lot of overlap, I think are great buddies. <laughs> <laughs> good good yep. friends. Yep. And a, uh, a Mechit uh, embrace going wrong could result in like, yeah, a yeah. or something. So you could create a new I, I, lineage I that gonna, way. I was uh, going to say, if you, I, I, I wrote um, the Hypatians and um, uh, Nighthorse Spilled Blood, and that, that was kind of a way of, of getting you know prometheans in on the action because prometheans are kind of hard to get into vampire and i think it's they're kind of an interesting or i mean i'm doing my own here but they're an interesting way of um um bringing in that element of the chronicles of darkness because mm-hmm. they're sort their ideas that they're sort of like their weaknesses that they have a very limited form of disquiet and the pitchforks come out for them if they stick around for too long um, and they sometimes hunt Prometheans because they can use them in, you know, potions and things. Super neat. I like that. That's an awesome idea. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, as we mentioned, Chronicles of Darkness is pretty expansive. There is 11 major monsters that you can play as. Um, and here for uh, Signal Black, we're going to be covering all the other games. Um, last Sunday of the month. So next up is Werewolf the Forsaken which would be uh, pretty interesting because that one changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Edition. Went from my least favorite game to one of my top five. Really? Yeah. Went from one of my top five to one of my top five. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, so people can check that out. Uh, we'll put out you know, all the notices on social media and the like. Um, and for our social media, people can find us um, you know, on Facebook with uh, Facebook slash uh, dot com slash Dark Days Radio at Dark Days Radio on Twitter. You know, we have a Discord, which you can find a link to in the show notes if this is on uh, podcast form. And also just go to our website, darker-days.org. Uh, Sam, do you have any uh, social media that you want to share? Yeah. Any uh, books that you've been writing that you want to share? Anything I, like that? I, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at the third duckman. Uh, it's a three not spelled out. Uh, I've got lots of books on Storytellers Vault. I think I've got them linked in my, in my Twitter um if you seek that out and uh i will say the the book that chris and i worked on uh for requiem is sinigan deva it's an update of the old clan book it's got some really fun stuff chris did a wonderful job of updating the uh the old nemites covenant from uh the dance macabre uh just all around a really fun book and i think if you love the deva if you love requiem if you love bloodlines please check it out give me give me two bucks (laughs) Excellent. All right. Uh, brilliant. 
Well, thanks again, Sam, for helping us yeah, get through so all of that. Um, we will mostly get you on again to talk about a different splat in the yeah. future. Um, as Mike said, this is going to come out, you know, these going out at the end of the month. Uh, so we've got a long schedule with this. I mean, if people really enjoy this and we can keep up momentum, we'll get through all of the game lines yeah. and then eventually, I guess, we'll start drilling down into some more specifics the weird whatever those stuff, will be yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah thank you for watching and uh, we will see you next time in a month's time so goodbye for now Hey everyone, this is Mike with a few quick updates to this episode. First off, the next episode in Signal Black is actually going to be just general Chronicles of Darkness. We have a scheduling conflict, so Werewolf the Forsaken will probably be bumped to the end of the uh, introductory game rotation. So we'll probably see that in uh, end of 2022 or early 2023. In addition to that, there is a war going on in Europe right now as uh, Russia invades Ukraine. And uh, the hosts of Darker Days are really sickened with, about this, um, especially with the atrocities and uh, uh, probable war crimes going on over there. So we're teaming up with a bunch of other streamers and podcasters uh, to do the role for Ukraine GoFundMe. Uh, I don't have a link yet, uh, but as soon as we have it, we'll be adding it to the show notes. And in support of that, uh, Chris is going to be running a Soulbound game called Reap and Sow, uh, which is going to be streamed in conjunction with Realm of Fire, uh, one of the hosts, Rob, will be joining. And um, that will be occurring on Saturday, March 5th at 8 p.m. Greenwich time and 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, if you don't want to wait to uh, donate, you can definitely donate directly to the Ukrainian Red Cross uh, to help people uh, get them blankets, food, water. In addition to that, uh, you can also uh, go and donate to the International Committee for the Red Cross. Uh, they have a Ukrainian page that we will uh, link here. Um, they do a lot of work getting water to individuals in Ukraine. As well, the International Committee of the Red Cross has a lot of other projects in other countries. So you can donate to Yemen, uh, Afghanistan, uh, the Tigray region of Ethiopia, and many of the other crisis points in the world right now. It's really important to give, so if you can do so, we here at Dark Days Radio really appreciate that. Thanks. This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com.